Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. I am Curtis Wilson, and with my partner... Brian Siegler, how are you doing, buddy? Buddy, national championship, Monday yes, night. Watching the game. I'm on the coach's film room. For anybody who's never watched coach's film room on the national championship game, if you love football, you are missing out. My man across the uh, way from me here can definitely can confirm that. Yeah, so um was watching it to start before we fired up the podcast here because I got it on mute now. But uh, Hugh Freeze is very good at this. He is really good, knows his stuff. The I entire- love a guy that can talk offense and really understand various levels of the concepts. And, I mean, he's, he's knocking it out of the park. But he's doing it not quite – he's not digging too far into, the, like, the coach jargon where no. the relay person can't follow. No, not at all. Anybody that, like, either played some level or studied at some level of football, you can understand what all four of these guys are talking about. Um, all good, all making good points. Um, you know, it's it's the funnest thing to watch. I look forward to it every year. I wish they would bring a bunch of old heads in every Saturday night with their primetime game. Throw that on ESPN use because I would watch it over the main broadcast. No disrespect to Herbie or Fowler, like those guys. But when you get this, you get into the grind. You get into the play calls when they talk about voiding zones, route concepts, you know, it, and then they show the replay and you're like, holy moly. Like now you see why that happened. So, uh, loving it. Uh, 21-14 Bama, but Ohio State on the doorstep. Um, really competitive game so far. So, I think yes. that's what we all wanted. Um, there was a moment there where I thought Ohio, uh, uh, Alabama was about to get a, uh, a sizable lead, and then they had that big play, big turnover, and Ohio State punched it in, tied it up, and looks like we're going to get a back and forth. Uh, I, I think our uh, our predictions – are still still in the realm of safety right now, so we'll uh, we'll celebrate that hopefully. Um, it's true. It's been two weeks, man, since we yeah. We now obviously y'all we probably talked to maybe each other. We text a few phone calls here and there. Probably our wives. Are the person we talk to more. <laughs> maybe some family members. Very true. Very but true. It's last week we were going to record. It, it got us right in the behind. Late week, we were going to press record on Thursday, and we start texting. It's like, man, this is the first week back at work. <laughs> it, you know what? It was it was definitely harder and uh, busier than I anticipated. It was, it was one of those things where I thought I was going to be able to carve out a little bit of time here, a little bit of time there, and get myself ready to go. And then I, I looked at it, and the further we got in the week, I'm like, I haven't had any time. Exactly. I've, I've had my week fail. You know, we had something big we were working on coming right out of the holidays, so it was kind of kind of stressful there. But you know, we pushed through. Exactly. We we got through. We we decided to call a timeout on an audible last uh, Thursday instead of recording. We both went to sleep at nine o'clock on a Thursday night. <laughs> and yes, it was like time, time to rest. But a lot of news since we've been gone folks and we're going to try to hit all the topics, but also on this episode, 
we are going through the coach, the Hokie coaching staff, and we're giving the boundary corner grades, which is going to be our grades combined and then our individual grades with some pieces here and there. We're going to do every coach on staff, all 11. Um, some we've harped on in the season. You're going to hear some more points, but then a few other things as well. Um, lots of yellow on the field right there. So let's start, Brian. Let's start first with some of the stuff that's gone on several weeks ago. Let's talk about the Tay Daily transfer, the safety out of Vanderbilt, um, transfers to the Hokies, which you had said to me, and I'm not sure if you said it on the pod, but you talked about safety being a position I need, especially with Divine leaving. Yep. Uh, needed safety help, got some safety help here. So I'm, I'm glad to see that. Um, here's a guy that was, you know, projected starter at Vanderbilt before opting out the 2020 season due to COVID. Um, you know, decent size of safety, probably a little lighter than we're used to, but still, still in that same mold. And, uh, you know, had, has had some, some success there at Vanderbilt playing in the SEC. So I, I think this is a good ad for us. Um, definitely a need position. And I feel like a guy that can at least, Come on, come on campus and contribute, even if he's not kind of that first level starter for us. So we'll see what the offseason holds for that. But uh, I like the pickup because we needed safety help, whether it's front end or depth. Yeah, and with him, it's a guy who, like you said, played in the SEC. I mean, 17 career starts, um, all at safety, you know, over 100 tackles, you know, a good number of tackles for loss, interceptions forced fumbles. Um, again, opted out this year uh, out of Warner Robins, Georgia originally. So, I mean, it fills a need. It brings – I mean, do you say he's a starter just so you can get Devin back outside? I mean, I think you pencil him in at starter at, at one of the positions there and, you know, let him essentially lose it. I mean, I think based on his the, – the, the snaps he's gotten thus far at the position versus playing out of position like Devin was – um, I think that should give him a leg up there. And I think we're going to need Devin at other positions potentially just because of his versatility and, and the different things he can do now, especially after getting a season, um, you know, playing in there at safety for, for, for a good, good chunk of snaps there. Um, yeah. you know, he's definitely our most versatile um, defender in the secondary now. So I think having him kind of have that swing reserve role would be a good thing for us. Absolutely. All right, more good news for the Hokies. A trio of uh, Hokies returning. Belmar returns. Letica Smith returns. Deshaun Crawford returns. I mean, to me, I look that that makes me feel better about the defensive line and the offensive line because essentially the three guys were all starters last year, Brian. Yeah, and, and those are two things we had talked about where depth was a concern for us was across the defensive line and now – with some of the transfers we've had across the offensive line, um, getting front end guys coming back is only going to be a good thing, you yep. know, regardless of how everybody else is progressing, regardless of who we bring in from the transfer portal. Yeah. And, and kind of the way I see now with, you know, the defensive line, counting Barno, you've got really three or four starters on the defensive line back. Now on the offensive line with the addition of Johnny from Maryland, Yep. You have four starters on the offensive line. Yeah. Um, you know, the interior is kind of going to be settled. I'm sure there'll be some position battles to nude on the right tackle. Yep. You lose your left tackle, but ain't nobody questioning Darius leaving. 
Yeah, you're, so, you're essentially having to fill in a tackle now instead of having to fill in multiple positions across the line. Exactly. All right. This was a kind of a shocker to me, but I think, well, one of the guys I feel like should go, the other guy, I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. Both Oscar Bradburn and Brian Johnson not returning. For Oscar, I get it. Oscar's a senior. Oscar is from Australia. He's not from the United States. So why not try to make it in the NFL? You know, do it. Yeah. Johnson, on the other hand, I don't get it. I don't. He's a solid collegiate kicker. He hit some 50 yards. He made some clutch kicks. But the way I compare it is some people say, well, look at Joey Sly. Look how good Joey Sly's doing. When balls used to come off Joey Sly's foot, you knew he had NFL power. Yeah. You knew. You could see how hard. There were times they'd put him at like 59 yards, and he'd put it there. The accuracy was off. Once he got the accuracy, clearly he's he just signed an extension with the Panthers. And it was the consistency act. Like he he yeah. he would hit him. He just wasn't always 100. percent if it was under 40, you were still like, well, he might he might shank one here, he might shank one there. But he was consistent enough, and he always had enough leg. And once he kind of worked out that consistency, he's done very well in the NFL. Johnson, I, I mean, the only thing I'm going to say is that he put out some good tape this year. He did, true. And I mean, he might be wondering if this is the best tape he's going to have going into a an off season. It's true, man. And you don't know where some of these guys are. I think Johnson was graduating too. So it, again, it could be similar to Hewitt. Listen, I've got my degree. I want to give it a shot. I don't want to wait an extra year. Um, I'm just going to go. If I get lucky, great. If not, essentially I can start my life after football, whether you know that's in the career field they're choosing or coaching um, or something like that. Yeah. Um, now, had a commitment, Brian, that was an off-the-radar commitment, but when a guy like Dwight Vick speaks highly on a kid, you kind of take notice. Um, Samuel Ndanka out of South County, if you all remember South County, that's where the Van Dyke brothers were from, to uh, very kind of very good hokey players. But Donka coming, a 6'4", 205-pound defensive back. Did you get a chance to look at any of his tape? I mean, he was all state, you know, trying to figure out what are are the recruiting services missing that a a kid of this physical stature who wins all state in a state like Virginia at South County, which is a pretty good football school, not getting any love. Yeah. I mean, he compares size wise to the McDonald twins, but you know, he wasn't even on the radar where at least they were getting, kind of like fringe power five buzz pretty much throughout the last two seasons. So I'm just, I'm trying to figure out what out there had this guy so under the radar, but you know, when Dwight Vick gives you the, uh, the, the stamp, I, I'm going to trust that, um, yeah. you know, this is a, this is a, a PWO situation. It looks like, so um, well, we'll see how it goes, but now we've got three corners that are in the six, four, Range, I know probably the McDonald twins are not going to be playing cornerback for us, but the, the, it, the concepts are there. What we're looking to do on the back end, we're, yeah, you're going to have yeah, some 
taller guys, but it's a lot of tall. <laughs> We're starting to get some height on defense and, and guys that have length that can um, play with that wingspan. Yeah. Um, get, work leverage at the line of scrimmage if there's any sort of press element in there. Um, and, you know, guys with range like that tackle better typically. Long so, right? Yeah. Um, a lot of Divine Diablo body types. <laughs> I mean, like six three, six four, one yeah. two hundred, and you know we know what Divine did. So exactly. Why not? Nothing take, wrong with that. Nothing wrong with it at all, Brian. Well, Brian, as much as there was good news, there has been some eh, bad news. Um, probably. I'm not gonna say this is the biggest. Well, this is the biggest because of where he went. Hendon Hooker commits to Tennessee um, as a graduate transfer. Rocky, got, Rocky Top. Ooh, he's got two years of it, two years uh, of eligibility left. Um, obviously, that happened. Then a couple of days later, the Tennessee allegations drop. So it's just kind of like, <laughs> whoa. And, you know, Ouch. I, I have no issue with him going here. It gets him to a program that'll be in the spotlight. Best of luck to him. Yeah. Um, you know, Guarantano, their old starter, essentially moved out to Wazoo. Um, and the immediate backup transferred to Colorado. So the competition for him is a guy by the name of Brian Marr, who is a three-star out of Oklahoma, Florida. And the more interesting one is Harrison Bailey. Um, Harrison Bailey... Uh, was a highly regarded number three quarterback, top 100, rated somewhere in the neighborhood of about a 95 on the four-star scale. So very high-rated guy out of the 2020 class. So I I think what Tennessee is setting them up for is kind of good because if Bailey's not ready next year, yeah. You have someone. And you essentially like, have a bridge guy at worst. Um, and you potentially, if he shows out and wins the job, then that's that's good for them. And if he doesn't win the job, he's definitely a backup you can count on. Yep. Um, so, I mean, it's a, it's a win-win for Tennessee in this situation with, with some of the um, transfers they've had leaving out of the program um, to, to get a guy like Hendon that's had a lot of playing time has poise and and can can make some plays for you. So good for them. Uh, good for Hendon. Good for Hendon. Yeah. You know, good, you, very good for. I mean, all love to Hendon. I mean, you do what you got to do, man. Go, go go be great. Yeah, exactly. You go, you be great. Um, you know, I I hope the allegation stuff isn't big. I hope it's not one of those things where it really you know hinders his career development going there and everything. Um, cause what would really suck is if like the Pruitt coaching staff gets in trouble, they fire them all. And he's like sitting here, like, who's the new coach? Yeah. I didn't commit to any of these guys, but then if it's Tennessee, they'll end up, uh, they'll end up hiring Hugh Freeze oh. <laughs> in a heartbeat without even somebody's saying. going to exactly. All right. So the next, Next bit of bad news was our director of on-campus recruiting, Alex White, returns to North Carolina. I have one thing to say, Brian, before you go on. One thing. She's a fucking enemy spy. (laughs) 
I'll tell you what it is. And, and the more I looked at it, the more it made sense. Uh, here's someone that was asked to take a significant pay cut because of everything that's happening in the athletic department with the budget cuts. And her alma mater officer way more money to do the same job. It just so happens that her alma mater happens to be North Carolina and we fucking hate those guys. So there you have it. You know, it's, I mean, I get it. It's the alma mater piece. So, you know, but we still have to mention it. It'll be interesting to see who the Hokies uh, give into that role. Um, You know, over the next couple weeks here, you know, is it something I'm hoping we don't fall behind on this man, because I mean, this is a bad time for that type of transition. Um, I feel like we're, we were just making some good headway um, with this type of thing, even though we haven't been able to have folks on campus, having someone in that role um, is something that we've, we've needed for years. And it was nice to finally have something like that. So I'm hoping we, you know, turn that back on, turn it over real quick and get somebody else in house that can, um, you know, do the job that Alex has done over the last few months. It's very true. Um, but again, it's a, it's just a part of the business. And now it's going to have to be one of those things where at least we know where her pay cut level was. That is one of the biggest upside because the room is there. So, I mean, I'm, whether she was making, she was making a hundred grand and she was going to go down to 70, at least you know where your starting is. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things, too. Do you find somebody that might be associated with the program and just say, hey, listen, here's your opportunity. Here's the money. Um, Come back or maybe some kid there. I don't know, but they don't need to wait too long because knowing our luck, we won't have anybody in the role. And the NCAA will just like pull up in March. Oh, oh, recruiting's open back on campus now. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. We need to go ahead and strike on that while we can. Exactly. All right. One more bit of downer news before we get into really the big news of the day for us Hokie fans. Torian Gray gets hired by Shane to coach cornerbacks. Torian, who just a few weeks ago was fired along with Ron English, another former Hokies coach from the University of Florida. Um, I mean, I'm not shocked. No, I mean, I, I, as soon as he was gone, I was like, well, if I mean, unless we, you know, we are not in a dire need of a cornerbacks coach, he's probably going, if he's not going back to the NFL, he's going to go to uh, South Carolina. And sure enough, South Carolina. Hey, what? It'd be dumb for uh, for Shane not to call him. I mean. No, not at all. Shane. <laughs> he, you had to be stupid not to call a guy with that much um Success coaching cornerbacks in the college ranks. It's true, and and he has a, obviously a long-standing relationship on the team. I mean, you got to remember Torian was on the team when Shane was on the team yeah. back in the late nineties, and then obviously a four-year coaching run together when he was with his dad. So it makes sense. Where I feel sorry for those, I feel sorry for Torian because I think Torian has a mind to be a defensive coordinator, and I. When 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 he got fired and Shane would yet to name his guy, I was like, he should hire, like, make Tory in the D.C., given that spiel. And then he hires the guy to Western Kentucky, then hires Tory in, um, you know, it, I don't know. If it's one of those things where it's like he's going to be a positional coach all his life, it stinks. Because I think Gray's more than that. Yeah. Um, 
it's one of those things too, Brian, where I look back and I still wish to this day that in 2011, Frank had hung it up after an 11 win season, after a win in the sugar bowl. Yes, we won that game. I don't care what the record books say. Danny Cole caught the ball. He caught the damn ball. If he had turned it over to bud, Torian probably gets his chance right there. Yeah. And we don't know. That's, you know, revisionist history. You can write what happens. So, but, uh, so there's that kind of bit of bad news. Um, but Brian, we got good news, buddy. Yes, we did. Late this afternoon, Clemson Tigers defensive tackle Jordan Williams, who had entered the portal, commits to the Hokies. Williams, a 757 products out of Cox. Where? 757. Tidewater? Tidewater. Oh, shit. You know, he was one of the guys back in class of 2017. They went after hard. He came out as a top, you know, top 150 player. Um, here's a funny piece. He came out as a weak side defensive end. Guess where we wanted to put him and why he didn't commit to us? Probably defensive tackle. Yeah. He didn't want to commit to us. He went down to Clemson. That's where they put him. Defensive tackle. So and now he's 6'4", 310 pounds, and that's going to fit in nicely with what we like to do on the defensive line now. It absolutely is, man. And I tell you what, if if Bill Tierney turns this kid into a first three-round pick, he is worth every penny. Every penny they paid him. Yep. Because it's one of those things where – we're talking about we're gonna talk about a little while like what JM's doing, but this is I don't I feel like this is one of those kind of barrier breakers because he was at Clemson he could have stayed at Clemson right he ability yep. he he's been a rotational piece um for really his entire career but um you you kind of wonder a the selling of an NFL defensive line coach and an opportunity to start, but also Daryl Tapp potentially having those connections, getting in this young man's ear and selling the program and what they're doing. Yep. Um, but we got some beef on the inside. Um, beef on the inside, getting a guy that immediately comes in to probably the role that Gerard Hewitt held down. But plus 30 pounds and three inches, um, probably backed up by uh, Josh Fuga. And then you still get, you know, a combination of Pollard, Kendricks, and Crawford at the three technique. I mean, that's going to be a pretty decent uh, defensive line rotation now with, with him coming in. Uh, defensive tackle rotation, I should say. Um, I really like that two deep now uh, because oh, you're yeah. not, no matter who you put at the three technique, you're no longer completely undersized in the interior with a guy like him. So I like it. No, there is no undersize. Um, It will be interesting to more see what the nickel sort of concepts are, or like Pollard and Kendricks. Um, But as far as you're talking about having three big beef guys, you got them. If Cunningham comes back healthy, you've got four. Um, So which once was a worry about defensive tackle depth is no longer a worry. 
All right. Well, let's hit one more piece that is kind of completely not hokey related, but I, I wanted to touch it just because we watch college football. Um, Devonta Smith wins the Heisman. First they time, got it the fuck right. <laughs> the first time in 29 years a wide receiver won the Heisman. Last one was Desmond Howard. The only other one has been was Tim Brown back in 87. Yep. Um, Brian, if you didn't see him just catch his, that last touchdown, you don't know his stat line for the first half. Oh, I'm looking at it, buddy. We got 12 catches, 215, and three touchdowns in less than a half of football. Good God. Um, he is, with this performance, obviously, you know, his first big-time play was the two-a-touchdown against Georgia, where he yep. just ran by the guy in the cover two safety, peeked inside. He's potentially could be a top five wide receiver. And this is something like some people say, never take one that high. But he literally can do everything. X, Y, slot. He does stuff out of the backfield. He can do some of those jet sweeps. He catches screens. Literally everything that you can think of, he can do. Yep. And I'm kind of pulling up the NFL draft order right now because I'm just interested to see who is. Should Miami say screw the Watson trade and take him at three? Pair Tua back with uh, Devonta Smith. Um, I mean, that's that's not a bad call. They they definitely need some help at wide receiver as well. And I mean, when you look at this guy, I mean, he very much reminds me of kind of like essentially a more top end Percy Harvin in terms of receiving skills um, coming out of college, I should say Um, got a little bit more seasoned receiver, but a guy that can do a lot of those versatile things from the slot, from the backfield, um, you know, but also line up outside and, and run the full route trees. So um, I I really like what I see from him. I think there's going to be some, somebody's going to take him in the top 10, no doubt. So um, you kind of look and it's kind of like, well, if, if Miami doesn't take him at three, would Cincinnati take him to pair with Burrow? Would the Eagle? Well, I don't know what the hell the Eagles are doing after firing Peterson today. That makes no sense to me. Um, yeah. uh, the Panthers, probably not. The Broncos, Cowboys, probably not. You know what? Actually, he, there's no way he can make it past 11 because the Giants need a one. I would say if he made it to 12 – I would be okay with us taking and pairing with Debo and with IU Kettle. We, we've taken enough like second and third round receivers lately where I don't think we would take a shot in, but I don't, he's not going to get anywhere close to where we at. Well, so I don't even have to worry about that. I think he is, but you know, you never know. You never know. But if he, if he falls to, to 20, sure. Oh, yeah, <laughs> screw it. All right, let's uh, let's move on, Brian. Let's move on to our coaching grades for this staff of 2020. And how we're going to do it, folks, we're going to talk about the defensive staff first, then the offensive. We are going to wait to do the head coach last just because I think, A, we've talked about him enough during really the last three to four months that if y'all don't know probably our grades on him, you, uh, <laughs> you've probably not been paying much attention. So, yeah. 
let's start, Brian, with Justin Hamilton. Um, the boundary corner overall gives him a C. What do you give him, Brian? Uh, personally, I'd like to give him a C minus, but to me, I mean, it, the, a true grade that would be fair would be an incomplete because we didn't get to see what a full off season would look like with a brand new defensive staff, brand new defensive concept for the most part. So incomplete to me, but if if you had if you had held my held a gun to my head and maybe pick a grade, I'd go C minus. It took a while for him to kind of get feet under him um, in terms of game adjustments. Obviously, some of that had to do with the COVID stuff early in the season where he wasn't even at the games. <laughs> um, yeah. Then once he did kind of get in there, it felt like very much a like a square peg round hole um, situations yeah. with some of the styles and then the system. The styles of play of the players with the system we were implementing and so little time to prep and so little time to really get the the techniques and the concepts ironed out and, and instead of just essentially understanding the playbook enough to line up correctly. And I feel like that was a lot of what, what we were trying to do early on was just, all right, if we can, if we can line up correctly, we might be all right. Um, and, and, you know, that goes back to the no true off season, but I mean, as the season went on, they started looking a little better. Um, some of the position groups started coming around a little bit. Um, we started working in some of the older concepts to kind of make the transition feel a little bit better. Um, you know, kind of stuck with the new, new concepts we got, but maybe threw out some of the ones we were struggling with and, and went to more of a, of a bud style system in those, uh, situations where, where that was called for. So yeah, I'd say C minus. What about you, buddy? Um, I'm going just straight up C and a, a lot of reasons, just very similar to what you hit. The no off season thing, um, you know, that, that's probably the biggest, not being able to truly install what he wanted to do. But the reason I bring it to a C and not a lower grade, cause we did not have a good defense this season. Anybody that tells you we did, they need to be slapped because they weren't paying any attention. But A, I think the scheme that he wants to run in general, I think it can work with the type of talent we can get right now. And also with this scheme, it is bringing up into more the modern day where Bud had adjusted. It feels like the last couple of years it, that things were passing by and it was getting us further and further behind the eight ball. Um, very interesting. We forced 17 turnovers this year. Um, so, yeah. you know, you're looking at in an 11 game season, that's one and a half a game. That's a significant amount. Um, the other thing is I'll say is this, the play in the latter half of the season, especially against Clemson, against Miami and UVA. The week before Miami, Dax Hollyfield and his presser said, things are starting to click. Three of the next four weeks are three of the best defensive performances. Yes, 45 points were given up to Clemson. Most of those in a quarter and a half. Most of those in a quarter and a half. Also, we had four turnovers that game. They also forced one of those turnovers back into it. Several were in our territory. But overall, what you saw was his scheme against that type of talent. For for two and a half quarters, they they were, I'm not going to say confused, but they were kind of struggle busting. And when you see that and knowing what he can get and you see some of the pieces that are coming down in the pipe, you're like, okay, if this – 
if this goes the best way it can go, it could put us back into that top 15 consistently. All right, Brian, let's move on next. Let's go to Bill Tyrolnik. Um, we overall given him a B plus. I personally gave him an A minus. Um, very high on Bill. A, the way we looked on the defensive line from game one to the last game looked significantly better in my opinion. You know, we averaged you know, over three sacks a game, um, which was good for ninth in the country. 36 total sacks, which was good for fifth in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, we were getting almost seven tackles for loss a game, but that's only 32nd. But listen to this. 328 yards lost on those. That was good for ninth. Okay. Well, hear that. That's telling me penetration, and we're the defensive linemen were getting the guys down when they got to them in the backfield. Um, and I'll say this: I think probably him with the combination of the next person we talk about got Jordan Williams in the boat. That's true. I know. I know we're we're pretty much grading on field product here, but that's definitely something we're going to bring up in certain cases here to justify our grade. I feel like because. That's part of the puzzle piece, too, here. And some of this stuff is coming, you know, you start working on them in season, start working on them just after the season. I wouldn't be here. Um, I like the fact that our sack numbers are up. I like that the the season went on. You could see that they were adjusting to it more. The technique being very much about disrupting the action in the backfield, um, whether it's a pass play or run play. If you're disrupting that, you're going to get a lot of tackles for loss. It's showing up on the stat sheet and it's showing up, especially in the, in the amount of yards that, uh, that they surrendered in those tackles for loss and the number of sacks we have. So I feel like those are positive things that we're looking forward to in the future. The biggest thing that, um, I thought that I saw that I liked the most is how fast they brought Barno along from being a very situational player to being an every down player. Um, by the end of the season, he was one of the two or three best players on the defense. Yeah. And that's, and that's coming from game one where if it wasn't third and long, he looked lost. So that, that's a big, big shift in his ability to impact the game. And that's in season. Imagine if you get an off season with him, a proper off season, a proper spring. That's going to be something. It is. All right, let's flip to the next guy on the line, Daryl Tapp. Overall, we give him a C plus. Brian, you gave him the higher grade than me, so I'll let you lead. So, I mean, I'm going to give him some of the credit on what's going on with Barno there, um, bringing him along. I got a feeling that Tapp was probably working some with him one-on-one to kind of bring him along as Bill's working with whole line or half line or something like that. So I feel like he's got a big chunk of, of Barno coming along uh, there. Love the energy that he brings, love the bona fide credentials of both being Virginia native hokey and having that NFL pedigree that he brings to the game. Um, I got him, like I said, just a, a shade lower than, uh, than Tierling just because I don't know how much he had, impact on the scheme design and things like that of the defensive line. Um, but I, th- I feel like he's uh, he's bringing a lot of good things to the table. And when we talk about the recruiting side of things, this is the guy that's bringing people into the building 
and getting guys like Jordan Williams in the portal because of those bona fides that I was talking about earlier. Yeah. And you went B minus. I'm at legacy and it's not an act of Daryl, but the, the, the couple big reason is because of Bill Tilnick's rep. I don't know where to put him because we know when you read about Bill, his dad, wherever Bill is coached, the defensive lines have been good. They've been good. It's it's not like, oh, well, he coached over here and they were okay, and then he went there and they were really good. It's like, no, wherever he's been, the defensive lines have been the anchors for their defenses. So it's so tough to say what he did versus what uh, Tap did. Yep. But I'm going to tell you what, you talked about it. The fire on the sidelines was definitely there bringing the energy. The one I think about, the biggest one was the Duke game with getting the stop, getting that stop. Because you, they showed him and he was fired those guys up and got that stop. And I do think that if he kills Cruden, and that's every level, starting with Jordan Williams today, the 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 high school level, the portal level, um. He could be an A next year at this time. But then I kind of think about what you said with Barno, and maybe I should put him a, a C plus or maybe even the B minus with you to bring him up to a B minus because it makes sense. You have a feeling that A, if Bill saw something with Barno starting to click, if he just told Daryl, you you've got to go with Amari. And he could, and, and you know, two guys being in the NFL, and he could say, well, you know, what about me helping? Justice, justice is good. Belmar's doing. It. I'll work with them. You can get him to being an every-down player in a few weeks. Then what you just said, by six games into the season, he was basically an every-down player, wreaking havoc. You know, still trying to figure out how he didn't get a hire. You know how he didn't get higher on the all ACC when he led the freaking league in tackles for the loss. Yep. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> all right. So let's go next to the next guy here, Brian, um, Ryan Smith. Um, me and you agreed down the line on this one. Ryan yep. Smith deserved B plus. I mean, could have been higher. I think it would have been higher if he had Caleb and a healthy Jermaine, but I mean, he lost his best cornerbacks basically, at the beginning of the season, because Jermaine was never right all year. Caleb gone early. Um, he got put in some crazy situations. You know, basically, you know, his first couple games, he was basically calling plays out there. But all year, his unit, they consistently performed. You know, they didn't they didn't blow it out the water, but they were never the liability on defense. No. And the other thing that to me took him from a B to the B plus right underneath an A minus. He, he basically coached Dorian Strong from the 1300 best player in the country recruiting ranking saying to a freshman all American. Yeah. And, and that's got the big thing that I had on my grades as well, man. Um, you're working with, you know, you had your two best corners that one opted out the other miss so much time and the time that he was there, he was not 100%. Um, so you're pretty much working with your number three and number four corner to start the year 
on top of the fact that one of the corners you brought in had to be moved to safety. Um, and you have a true freshman that's having to play a significant amount of snaps right out the gate, handled all of this and honestly thrived in most of the cases there, man, um, brought strong on very quickly, um, had veterans adjust to the newer scheme faster than the other positions on the defense. Um, you know, other than a, a, a few blown coverages here or there, which sometimes is just an execution thing and not had anything to do with coaching. Um, I've got very little to complain about. Um, like I said, it's, it's just, it's hard to give him a, a accurate grade just because of the fact that he was working with one hand time behind his back before the season started. True, man. Very true. But it's tough to give him a bad grade because of how he's, you know, Oh, certainly. Yeah. I mean, he, he definitely made lemonade out of lemons there. Now the next guy and the last guy on the defensive side of the ball, um, our worst grade was Tracy Clays with the background he has and how me and you expected the linebackers to work, especially with the experience unit. We're giving him an F plus. Um, That's a thing guys. F plus is a thing. thing. Plus is a thing. Uh, Brian, I'm going to let you go first because you echoed like everything I have, but I, I, I gave him a slightly different, just a slight, I gave him one point better than you did. <laughs> or a point and a half, or a couple points higher than you did. That's right. And, um, I mean, the position regressed across the board. I mean, if this was one one player or maybe a, a couple of the guys, you might say, oh, well, you know, it's just COVID, this, that, the third. No, like everybody on, on his position unit regressed across the board. It took them forever to even get consistent at playing the position that um, you, you were talking about earlier where, where Dak said, you know, three games left in the season, we're finally starting to click. That That's not good. <laughs> Thank Bob. That's not good. That's not good at all. Um, you know, Rook had probably the worst season of his career. Uh, Tisdale oscillated between looking like, an all American and looking like he didn't know what the fuck he was doing. Um, like he'd have, he'd have a play where he looked like the best player on the field. And then the next play, he looked like he was lost, like just literally out of, out of, out of position, doing the wrong thing, just not knowing what the fuck is going on. And for someone slightly underside of the position, you damn well need to be in the right place. <laughs> it's true, man. Just saying you, you can't be undersized and not doing the, the, the technique, right. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and Dax was Dax for six weeks. Um, it, it, it's just Dax settled in towards the end of the year and probably at the end of the season was the most consistent linebacker on the field, which if you told me that at the beginning of the season, I'd have said you were full of it. <laughs> you would have been like, come here, we'll smack you. Get out of here. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, that that's my take, man. F. F. Um, I was all of those sentiments. I will go along with. I'm not going to say anything. But I, the only reason I, I did not give him an F, and I, maybe I'm just nice. I didn't give anybody an F. Anybody an F. I give him a D minus because of COVID. He did not have a chance to work with the guys, you know, throughout the spring and stuff. And of all the guys on this coaching staff. Um, he was he was the most tenured. He's essentially yeah. been coaching close to twenty seven years. 
He's been yeah. a coordinator before. He's been a successful coordinator before, which is why what we saw this year was head scratching and what the fucking. Like, exactly. Exactly. We hope there is a spring where he can work with the guys and build upon what those last three games were, because like you said, and like I mentioned, the last three games kind of clicked in with, especially with, with Rook going pro and Dax coming back at Mike. Dax clicking late playing Mike could be a big step. Um, Tracy, you got nowhere to go but up, baby. Yeah. Up. <laughs> All right. We got a, you got a small chance of going down to a full F and not an F plus, but you know that's neither here nor there. We invented F plus anyway. Yes. Plus <laughs> and a minus. There's essentially a thirds. As we were to, by the way, is there a plus to the bottom though? <laughs> like. <laughs> Basement be. plus. There, I guess there is some places that have like basement level two. <laughs> two basements. You have well, some places you have basement then garage. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> He's at the garage level then. This is a garage level. He is not, not quite at the lobby, but you're not at the bottom either. He's not in the boiler room yet. There we go. He's not down there with Freddy. Exactly. I guess that's good. Exactly. We're scary Terry. <laughs> All right. Um. By the way, uh, what's the? Is it forty-two or is it thirty-five, seventeen? Either way, our picks looking good. Well, maybe not too good because Bama might put sixty on them. All right. Let's move over to offense, and let's start with the wide receiver coach Jafar Williams. Jafar in his second full season. Um. We we kind of pretty much agreed on this C minus for him, Brian. Um. And Brian. What do you feel like? What do you feel like he's doing so far? That's making him not in the D's, not in the below averages, but eh. I mean, on the good side, uh, two good sides. So number one is he's done a damn good job of teaching these guys to block, whether the quarterbacks running the ball or whether the running backs have the ball, or whether it's a jet sweep. These guys know how to block out there in space. So that is a big plus because that's not the easiest thing to teach wide mm-hmm. receivers. Um, and number two, uh, Trey Turner, Tavion Robinson had good seasons, not spectacular seasons, but they had good seasons. Yeah. Um, from there, it's kind of downhill. Um, he did a poor job of getting other guys um, a lot of touches in this offense. Um, some of that had to do with the fact that he, they weren't doing a good job of getting separation. Some of it had to do with the rotations and the, I think the level of trust that they had in those guys. I don't think they gave them enough trust to make those plays. And I think that's part of that's, that's a big problem. And some of that goes back to the position coach. Um, I think we've seen a lot of attrition at that position since he's been there. And some of that has to do with someone else we'll get to. And some of that has to do with him. <laughs> and I think next season is kind of make or break. I think we need to have all ACC caliber players at the wide receiver position next year. If we're going to keep this guy around for another season, because he's not killing it on the recruiting trail either. If he was killing it on the recruiting trail, you might be able to overlook some of the stuff that's going on over the field, but he's not doing that either. It's true. Um, I, I'm, I'm with you on the make or break year, but w- do we know? Because, Per whip, this is Foo's year one. We're going to get to that later. Stop it. Okay. <laughs> um, but it is tough because Trey and Tay are good and they produce. You you know, they don't always get separation, but they occasionally do get separation. 
Um, they're to me, I feel like Tavion Robinson's route running got better this year. Like there were times where he'd find a zone and just kind of hang there, and he'd get the ball to him. But he's definitely reading things better. And I mean, yeah. Tay's Tay's plus has always been like his ability to kind of make those lateral cuts at speed. Yeah. Like he he doesn't he he doesn't have the best top end speed, but when he when he makes those cuts, he's not slowing down. He's not losing that step. So exactly. But I'm gonna make one more point. Yep. No other receiver has stepped up, and you talked about the attrition. But is that his fault? Again, that's why was, he's got he's got to own some of it because I feel like I feel like Wiggins would have talked some of these guys to stay and gotten them involved and figured out a way. And I know it's a it's it's hard to you know as we're talking about <laughs> Devonte Smith winning a Heisman Trophy with uh, Holman Wiggins that they're coaching him. It's kind of hard to compare Williams to that. But that's what we had before Williams got here. So, unfortunately, motherfucker, that's what we're comparing you against. It is what we're comparing you against. <laughs> Unfortunately, we didn't fire somebody and just make Holloman the freaking DOC. We'll talk about that in a little while. All right, let's move next to, obviously, your favorite, Vance Vice. Overall, we're giving him a B. I'm going to I'm gonna go first and hit a few quick points and let you jump in because I know this is your bread, dude. Yep. B for me. Best offensive line we'd seen in a long time in this program. The running game was absolutely dominant. The passing game wasn't bad. We only gave up 22 sacks, um, about two sacks a game, 48th in the country, about middle of the road. We could, When you're running the ball as good as we did, that's something you can live with. Um, he literally made Christian Darisaw a first-round pick. And I know some people will say, well, that's Darisaw too, and it's to a point it's like we have seen players – who are unbelievable when they get to the pros and get drafted in the seventh round because they had piss poor coaching in college. You've seen it. It happens. Now he was probably an A minus for me or an A for me, but that grade came considerably down with the transfers, especially the caliber of transfers. Brian, it's all yours now. Uh, easily best offensive line across the board that we've had in a decade. Um, most of it with homegrown guys. Yep. Um, most of it on the strength of big name guys that Vice targeted specifically. Um, so we're talking uh, Nestor, we're talking um, Brock Hoffman, and obviously, you know, Darisaw was a guy that was brought in, I think, a combination of a couple um, guys on the staff, but Vice definitely played a role there. So uh, Darisaw being a homegrown development um situation there for us we've got take a guy that came in not necessarily highly touted now all of a sudden he's you know arguably the number one tackle in the draft this year uh as technically an underclassman so i mean that that's some big fucking shit to talk about yeah um i love the run blocking that's gotten significantly better um and he's been targeting guys that are coming out of high school that know how to fucking run block Blocked through the whistle, got a little got a little mean streak to him, and I like that. And and it's finally showing up on the field, and so that's a good thing. Uh, pass pass blocking was sufficient. Um, outside of Darisaw, no one was elite. Everybody's very very middle of the road. But as much as we dropped back, we didn't need much better than middle of the road. Nope. And most times, as long as we 
had the right checks before the snap. We we weren't giving up a ton of uh, sacks in the game where that was a complete liability where we were getting taken out of the game because of sacks. It's true. So and, and that, of, that that's something big to hang your hat on. It is. And a lot of the sacks, me and you discussed throughout the season, a lot of sacks were not on the line. The line did their job to block. It was essentially the quarterback not getting rid of the ball. Like the Braxton Burmeister play versus NC State when he hurt his wrist. Perfectly blocked. Yeah. He didn't find the open guy. He it's a scramble. He gets sacked. They get credited for it as a sack against him. When in reality, it's like they held up for seven seconds. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at some point, you know, you gotta. Yeah, at some point, you gotta. Sacks are sacks are very. It's it's one of those things where it's yeah, the offensive line gets the lion's share of the blame for them, but you know. You can't just say, well, they gave up this many sacks and say, well, that's indicative of a bad pass blocking offensive line. It's not always the case. I mean, in this case, I'd say, you know, we're we're 48th in the country in terms of actual talent, maybe top 40, top 35. I mean, we've got some situations where guys were doing the wrong thing with the football. So that that happens, man. Yeah. Do you think that that one of these – analytical services should start documenting sacks more than like two and a half seconds where you can say if someone like an O-lineman like you and someone that pays attention like me to say, well, shit, yeah, they gave up 40 sacks, 28 of them are over 40 seconds or over two and a half seconds. That ain't an offensive line problem. <laughs> That's a quarterback. That I can yeah. Do. I mean, it, you could do something like, pocket sacks in less than five seconds or something like that because offensive line isn't shouldn't always get dinged for sacks that occur outside the pocket exactly but they they shouldn't get dinged for sacks that take place five seconds or greater after the snap so if you just remove those i feel like that'd be a fair a pretty fair assessment of an offensive line in terms of pass pro um Anybody else that's offensive line out there, they can comment on this and tell me how wrong I am or how right I am. But uh, <laughs> right, well, that, that's my two cents on it. All right, let's move on to the next coach, first-year coach Adam Leichtenberg at running back. Overall, he gets a B. I'm going to jump on this one real quick, Brian, before you jump into it. I have one statement. Per Chris Stapleton, I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man, you you missed on this one. I mean, obviously, depending on who you are, you might vary this grade, uh, you know, up a letter grade or down a letter grade. But nobody's giving this guy a D or an F. What what we saw this year, um, you know, th- this is the most production we've gotten for the running back position since 2011. And if it weren't for Herbert being out essentially two full games between sitting one and being very limited in another, um, you know, he probably even, you know, crushes it even more there. So that's, that's gotta be something that we look at. Uh, he also does a great job, uh, recruiting in the transfer portal in the Juco circuit. Uh, he really does a good job of bringing those guys in, sp- highlighting talent, spotlighting those guys, getting them in, um, letting the position coaches kind of finish the job, but he's the guy that kind of gets the ball rolling on a lot of these things. And he does a good job there. I'm dinging him down from probably what could have been an A minus B plus down to a solid B because he should not have had Blackshear as a friggin' spellback. 
We have to determine if that was him or not, though. We so. have not, but I'm. He's a position coach. If if he's got to have the balls to step up and tell whoever it is that is making those decisions, if it's not him, that you need to sit the fuck down. I, I think there's something you just said, and I'm gonna I'm gonna add a little bit to it because how he has identified the JUCO and the transfer portal talent, it's like he can look at a guy and say. He just need we just need to get in this guy's ear and he can take the step. And yeah. this year it was Barno, it was Herbert, it was Black here in certain situations. If they use Black here right, it'd be a lot better. But I like for who we are as a program. He's the type. He is the type of guy you want to say. Well, look at this Jukote. No, 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 that guy. Like that guy right there is one step away from being a division one college football player. Yeah. And the more you get those in, especially where we are as a program, the more it's going to help. All right. Let's move on to tight end slash special teams coordinator, James Shabest. We are giving him a B minus. I gave him a C plus. It would have been a B plus, but for one damn reason, can we just <laughs> teach somebody how to freaking field a punt full letter grade drop? Everything else, awesome what he did. That's a full letter grade drop because it cost us multiple games. I mean, it, it, it made the Duke game closer than it should be. It made a couple other games either put out of reach or, or completely lost on the on the fact of it. So, yeah, I'm with you there, man. Um, we saw some really good uh, production from the tight ends, especially James Mitchell. We saw a couple other guys come on. Um, Gallo especially. Yeah. Uh, Drake had some some good uh, good snaps in there this year. Um, I didn't feel like we we didn't super miss Dalton Keene. I felt like they did a good job by committee, kind of filling in those roles. James Mitchell's blocking went up significantly. He was a much better blocker this year. Not that he was ever a bad blocker, but he was much better this year than he had been. And like you said, man, um, Muff Punt's got to stop. Uh, we we can't have muff punts in those situations, but I think he did good job with uh, some of the situational special team calls. Um, so I, I'm going to give him the a bump up for that. You know, if we could get Romo to stop kicking out of bounds occasionally and you know field a damn punt, I think we're going to be all right at that position, man. It's very true, man. <laughs> all right. Well, we kind of saved. We did this order for a particular reason, so we could highlight probably two people we you can say bashed, or you can say I'm not gonna say bashed. Two people we have constructively criticized all year. Um, let's start with Brad Cornelson. I gave Brad Cornelson a D minus. It matched our overall because my D minus was damn near an F plus, and Brian's D was damn near a D minus. Yes. It's it's the same shit, Brian. You know, <laughs> we're sitting here watching these two teams tonight, and and it is it's it's an eighteen point lead for Alabama. They have excelled offensively. I can't tell you what Alabama's going to do next. I can't tell you the concepts are going to come out. Listening to Hugh Freeze and Dave Clawson, um, and you know the A and T head coach with Chiswick. I don't think he could do that. I think he would sound like a bleeping moron. I really do. Because I'm sitting here in, in the way they're explaining it, and it's like, oh, I get it. Okay, we're running to the we're running boundary on this because of this, and it's like, okay, that makes sense. 
Sorry. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's, you know, you, you talked about the thing with, uh, you know, sitting in the in the booth and watching the national championship and commenting on it, explaining things in real time. And I feel like maybe it's a processing thing because I feel like we adjust so slow. Situational play calls are so bad. We get across the opponent's 40 and just forget how to fucking play offense. I figured out how to call the game, lose the flow, whatever you want to call it. And it, it it's just, it's so frustrating and mind numbing that we've got that much talent on the field. We're, we're scoring yeah. at a clip that's pretty high yep. um, at, at times. And then, you know, a few play calls here and a few play calls there and you, you, you take two touchdowns off the board. It's like, it, it's, it's sure. so frustrating. It's very, it's, it's just mind numbing and the adjustments don't come. We, we keep saying we do what we do, but if what we do ain't working, we need to do something else. Damn it. <laughs> and earlier today, I hit Brian up with these stats and y'all go, you can look at it. The data's out there. We scored our range this year. And y'all think with the talent we had, the offensive line, James Mitchell, Tay, Trey, Juice, whatever quarterback we had back there. We scored in a range from 10 points to 45 points. We scored less than 24 four times. That makes no godforsaken sense. Shouldn't happen. To score less than 24 points four times. And then as I'm digging into it deeper and deeper, and I, and, I, and I threw this to Brian. I think it shocked him a little bit because it took him a couple. It took him a few minutes to respond to me. We scored 62 points in the second half this year of our game. 62 points. We averaged 31 a game. Do the math. That shows you right there that we were scoring well over. We were scoring 200 plus points in the first half. 62 points in the second half. That's 10 points. That's not good in itself. What makes it worse, Brian, when I sent you this, I believe you gave me the bullshitting, right? You take out the 31 points we scored against UNC in the second half and do the math, we scored average six points in the second half of the other games. Can't happen, man. That that can't happen. You can't come out of halftime yeah. and essentially sit on leads. But and those, and sometimes you don't have those leads. Those are the losses. 62 yeah. points in the second, 31 in five games we lost. Not counting UNC. 31 points. So if we're up, we're not doing enough to keep the lead. And if we're down, we're not doing anything to get it back. We're not. We're not. And, and you know, it's this point where it's like, if plan A doesn't work, there is no adjusting. There is no changing of direction. It's essentially square peg round hole, ram it harder. And that's where some of the stuff you talk about, the situational play calling just infuriates you because it's sitting here and it's like, they know that's coming, do something different. Yeah, I mean, he's got above average design, but it's the adjustments and the situational play calling that just dooms this offense a lot of times. And sometimes it's execution, and and which goes back to a degree to coaching. And sometimes it's just the coach is not putting these players in the right position to make the plays that need to be made. 
And a lot of that goes back to the play caller. A lot of that goes back to the head coach. And some of it goes back to the position coaches. But I mean, at this point, we're talking about Brad Cornelson, a guy that, again, we haven't had access to. Nope. For whatever reason. Yeah. And devoid of an answer and devoid of other facts to present an, an opposing case. This is the conclusion that we've come up with. So, you know, maybe if we get more access to the guy, we'll see. May, well, he was a fucking scapegoat the whole time. I don't think so, but maybe, maybe we'll see that. But well, as of right now, they haven't given us any reason to think otherwise. Two of the four coaches we had to ask, is it, are they the issue why the second line guys aren't producing or is it somebody else? We yeah. asked that about Jafar. We asked that about in, in Lichtenberg's case. In Lichtenberg's case, too, we didn't even mention it, was Jalen Holston. Yeah. Not getting him the touches early. Not, this getting, him, not getting him to spell juice. You kind of sit there and we sit here and we talk about it. And we could say, if you had the right combo there running Blackshear where you're supposed to and gadgets on sweeps, on screens, letting him run some easy From route. Slot. Where? The slot. Slot. Goddamn slot. <laughs> you dumbass. Um, so we don't know if it's them because what if they're what if, because again you talk about them going to and this is stuff behind closed doors we'll never know but we have to say determine are they going to him saying hey you know Changa and Evan are ready and we saw Changa in that last game with those those little short routes those four five six yard routes where he was catching and essentially it made them have to adjust their safeties which supported the run game strong, which supported the downfield passing game stronger. With Lichtenberg, if you have the rotation right where it's Juice and Holston, and I'm still trying to figure out why Marco Lee didn't get as much play, because that couple times we saw him run the ball, good Lord, it looked like he wanted to run through somebody. Hammer. Hammer. I mean, and you, you sit there, and, you, and it keeps going back because there's a new running backs coach, there's a new wide receivers coach, and then there's Brad, because tight ends and offensive line, we've always said they're doing a sufficient enough job to keep their jobs. Yeah. yeah. You lost one to Alabama, can't do anything about that. The other, you fired because of lack of production. And you have Brad, who, not the best recruiter, clearly not the best play caller, good play designer, but that's, you know, that's it. And... It's just that thing with him. It's just you'd want to see some growth, right? Yeah. Want to see some growth, and I think that's where we are with him. It's like we get five years in, and it's just like he's doing the same shit he did at the beginning that didn't work. Why do you keep doing it? Yeah, and I mean, I'm gonna go back to, to your point a little bit there um, when we're talking about the wide receiver production, and so one of two things is happening, right? So either the wide receivers are not the, the the second line weren't doing enough at the beginning of the season to justify up snap counts and up targets. Yep. Or they were doing enough and weren't being given that opportunity. So. <laughs> well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's go back to this though. Yep. Beginning of 2019, he made the decision for Ryan Willis. He made the decision. Yes. 
and you can say what you will, you feel like if this is a structure, Justin Fuente is the president of Virginia Tech football, Jay Ham and Corn are his VPs on each side of the ball. They can be given direction to say they're ready. I'd like to run them in these packages, and what can they? I'm sure they can veto it, right? Yeah, I, I'm sure at Hamden Sydney. Now Marty ran the offense, but I'm sure there were times where he that your O line coach would say, "Hey, can we let's run this play?" And Marty be like, "No," <laughs> just walk away and just like, "Boys, I want." There, there were times, but he, I, I would say. That was a big situation to make because my offensive line coach was six foot six, three hundred and forty pounds, and played under Joe Pod Penn State. So <laughs> he wasn't a guy that you always want to say no to. But yeah, he uh, he would definitely overrule him for sure. And um, like I said, the big thing is that when we talk about Cornelson and that wide receiver situation, so. If either of those things are true, either you're not doing a good job of getting your number, your second line guys the ball when they're on the field, or you're not recognizing a flaw and seeing a potential solution in Blackshear to at least increase the depth at that position and moving him to that position full time. True. So, right. I mean, if, if you're saying those guys aren't getting it done, you've got tape of a guy getting it done under a what you would consider an inferior staff because they got fired from fucking Rutgers. Uh, <laughs> let, let's be honest here. I mean, put chips on the table. It, it's a travesty that they didn't get that guy more touches in the passing game from a traditional wide receiver position. You know what? I'm, I keep watching this, and I know Devonta Smith's a special player, but how many times have they just ran a hard inside slant from the slot with him? And you feel like you see Blackshear shiftiness and you say he can run that four yard slant. Yeah. Now I've got to say this. Ohio, they've ran it like six times. Ohio State has failed to adjust to it. Like you need to change leverage with your guy when he's in the slot. Well, he can go deep. I don't care if he can go deep. He's breathing you with the freaking slant every time. Make him beat you deep once at least. All right. Let's, let's, let me focus back on what we're doing here. All right. Last but not least, Brian. Head ball coach, Justin Fuente. Me and Brian sat here, discussed this for a little while, and there was no possible way that we could give him a grade above combined D. Yeah. I went D plus. Um, and a lot of my stuff, it's not so much the season. The season is what it is. Um there were several times you could tell what the overall game plan was. I feel like that's him with an overall game plan that were very good. It made sense. I'm still convinced, still convinced he called NC State. I, I feel like me and you could, should go back and watch that game one day because that game felt different than any other game we played this year. And there was that, a- that game highlighted our. The, the good elements of our offense and hid the bad elements of our offense. And I still think that was him calling because remember the rumors flew that week that Corn had had COVID. He was going to be back, but he was going to be back late in the week. Essentially a play where he can't do play calls because he's not there to install. The, the rumors flew, never confirmed or denied. 
But the way that game was called versus the way every single game after that was called was completely different. He gets the D from me or the D plus for me for what happened in the last month. You just came off a five and six season. You had all new guys on defense. You want to fire some of them? Go for it. That's your decision. Most people are going to hammer you on that because they didn't have an off season. You have two position groups. We've mentioned before tight ends and offensive line. It feels like from day one have always produced, have always been solid. You fired a running backs coach and that went up. You have a wide receiver coach in his second year whose two best players are consistently producing at a good level. There's one consistent and you won't fire him and he should be fired. And if, even if you don't fire him, demote him or bring on somebody else to take over the play calling. And even if he keeps his, uh, all this a coordinator job, bringing in like a uh, some sort of game coordinator to to just handle the play calling, you know, whatever it is, like look in the mirror, self evaluate, figure out where the deficiencies are, and at least put a fucking band aid on them, even if you don't go in there and um, you know stitch it up, like do something. Not uh, we're we're rolling. Uh, no, we're, we're not rolling, guys. We are rolling on. We just lost six games. We were sub 500. We lost to Liberty. We got blown out by Pitt. No, we're not rolling. We're We're not not fucking rolling. We're sputtering. Yeah, I mean, we're getting by. If 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 you're cool getting by, that do you. But that's not what we want, and that's why we were calling for your head this off season. And here's the thing. And I think this is this is probably me and you and more level-headed fans. We want you to succeed next year. Yeah, we do. But when this, I'm not gonna say when, but if the same shit starts happening, which we assume it is, you you you, you need to be gone. We're it's going to get more and more vocal. It's going to be more and more seen because my assumption is the way they're saying it that. What are they saying? By July, every person in Virginia could have taken the vaccine. Every person in Virginia will have had the opportunity to take the vaccine. So would you hear that? Me, you know, you assume that there it's going to be stadiums going to be open. The opportunity to take the vaccines there. The treatments are better. We know more and more what this thing targets, who it doesn't target. We know how to protect ourselves, yada, yada. Right. Yep. If it starts sucking bad, the stadium's going to look bad. And eventually people are going to, they're going to call for your head. The buyout's going to be a hell of a lot lower next year. Hell of a lot lower. And you would assume with all the cuts that have been made and everything, your, your head's there. Yeah. So my, and this is my advice. A, pray you don't have to play a hard team on Labor Day. But if your boy screws around, and is doing bad things, you better, you better, as you said, Brian, look in the mirror quickly, take the accountability and say, you're done. Cut it. Because it is your job that is going to be gone. Yep. And and I'll, I'll say that, I mean, the bad thing is, is that, I mean, it's going to be very hard for them to do something different without firing 
Cornelson at some point because yeah, you know we're we're talking about you know budget cuts in the athletic department, this, that, and the third, and and what is available to uh, funds for the uh, support staff. I mean, even if you want to bring in like a quality guy on offense to essentially do what Kill did, I mean at that point that's that's a hard ask for an yeah. athletic department that's you know, cutting salaries across the board, had to fire a bunch of people in some of the lower positions. I mean, it's it's going to be something where you you you're still going to be dealing with the optics of the situation to make to put the product on the field you want with this coaching staff versus at least getting some goodwill, some extra donations, all of the things yeah. that come with bringing in a head coach that can reinvigorate the program at the right time. Exactly. And yeah, again, we want them to succeed. And again, we have said it in the past. We feel like if things if things were constructed correctly on the staff, certain people doing certain things differently. I'm not saying the mid-January game is attainable at the moment, but I think New Year's Six is attainable. I think winning the Coastal is attainable. Certainly. I mean, Coastal should be attainable just based on the fact that we are fucking Virginia Tech and we play in the Coastal. True. I mean, if we we get past UNC and Miami, we're Coastal champions. We should be able to, every year, split that, if not win both. If not win both. If not win both. And then me and you have talked about in the past, with the scheme we run, we show that we can score points on these guys. We feel now more consistently with what we're going to do defensively, the defensive side against certain offenses, especially against the Miamis, the North Carolina type offenses that they're running right now, we're going to get better. Yeah. It's two people got D's on our report. Well, with the exception of Tracy Clay's. Um, I still think the Tracy things and having COVID, the other two guys have been here. But one, two guys have been on the staff this whole time. One guy in an administ- in, in more of a on-field product role. If you're Justin Fuente, is literally his ace in the hole going to be, let's say we start two and two. And when I say that by starting two and two, we play UNC to open. We we lose to them, but we beat Middle Tennessee. We lose to West Virginia. We lose to Black Diamond Trophy, and we lose, and we beat Richmond. We're where we were at the Duke game. Is the only thing that would would you if he at that right then and there fired Brad Cornelson, and we played significantly better the rest of the year on offense. Would you let him come back or it's like, nope, you waited too long. Fuck you. I mean, yeah. So which one is it? Is it you waited too long or we're going to let you stay? I'd say you waited too long. Okay. You waited too long. Fuck you. You should have got rid of him last year. He was never that good. Yeah. All right. Real quick before we wrap up here tonight, guys, bowl pick. Brian, you went five and four, six and three over here. I beat you by a game. Ohio State held to a field goal. 
just got inside the 20-yard line with 7.03 in the third. Is there anything else breaking, Brian? Did we get any other commits? Anything else interesting happened? I'm not seeing anything popping up. I'm looking back through real quick just to see if anything jumps out. No, I think we're good, man. All right. Well, folks, that is going to be this. Well, that is going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast, the first for 2021. Yes, sir. I am Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe for the podcast on your favorite source, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. As always, we let our buddy Jason Long play us out. Catch him on Spotify and Apple Music. We thank you for listening. And as always, let's go. Tokies.